Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 445 of the podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. You might be saying by now, for those of you who are subscribers, and there are many of you, uh, aren't there more episodes this month? And the answer is yes, we are doing that. We're celebrating with you by uh, trying to get uh, a few more voices onto this podcast in September, all coinciding with the launch of my brand new book, At Your Best, How to Get Time, Energy, and Priorities Working in Your Favor. Thank you to everybody. You've been so supportive over that book. If you haven't picked up a copy yet, you can. And uh, I want to, well, I'm so excited to have today's guest, Amy Porterfield, because she's one of the early voices that helped me figure out a path to what I'm doing now. And I'll explain more in a moment. But uh, I started listening to her over a decade ago, and I thought, huh, wonder how I can get alongside leaders. Amy was so crucial in that. If you don't know who Amy is, you're going to be really glad you've tuned in. This episode is brought to you by ProMedia Fire. How would you like to experience for free two weeks of live training on how to grow your presence online? You can go to socialmediachallenge.com for that. And by Generis, you can understand your church's giving data by scheduling your free Generosity Pulse report with Generis at generis.com slash carry. Well, Amy Porterfield is going to talk about how to grow your online audience, what she learned from working with Tony Robbins. We have a lot of fun talking about that. She worked with Tony, one of his key writers when she was in her 20s, and then some common marketing mistakes most leaders make. So I started listening to Amy's uh, content over a decade ago. I'm going to say 2010. So she and Pat Flynn, who I hope to have on the podcast from Smart Passive Income, uh, they were just early voices, you know, when podcasting was in its fledgling state. And it was so thrilling to be able to connect with Amy finally and talk about it. She will tell you if you want to grow an email list exactly how to do that in this episode, some mistakes that online marketers make and a whole lot more. She's an online marketing expert, hosted the top ranked podcast, Online Marketing Made Easy. Before building a multi-million dollar digital course business, Amy worked with mega brands like Harley Davidson and Peak Performance Coach Tony Robbins and others, where she oversaw the content team and collaborated on groundbreaking online marketing campaigns. Through her best-selling courses and popular podcast, Amy's very practical steps have helped so many leaders find momentum as they build what they love online. So I think you're going to really appreciate this. And I know for a lot of churches, it's your first, you know, second year online for real. And for a lot of businesses too, right? Small businesses all of a sudden had to realize, oh, we need more than just like a website. So if you really want to grow your business, if you want some tips on how to really thrive online, I think you're going to love this episode. So all church, nonprofit, and business leaders, heads up. Are you looking to maximize your digital growth and impact during the upcoming holiday season? I know. Can you believe it? Like before you know it, arr, Christmas is going to be here. If so, then you and your team will want to be part of ProMedia Fire's Social Media Challenge starting in October. The Social Media Challenge is absolutely free. It includes tips and tactics currently working on social media. And you know that changes every month. How to decide what to post and when. The five-step digital engagement framework that accelerates growth how to create a 30-day content calendar, and free beta use of a social media software never released to the public until now. It's free, guys. 
And now's the time. So take your social media to the next level and reach more people this November and December. Experience for free two weeks of live training on how to do this by going to socialmediachallenge.com. That's socialmediachallenge.com. Also, I sat down recently with Generis Principal Jim Shepard, and I asked him, what is one thing that church leaders don't realize about giving that they really need to understand? Here's what he had to say. You know, as a financial guy, I love financial statements, and I love it when people can cite chapter and verse on income and expenses, and most pastors know that. But what they don't know is the one thing that I think would really illuminate their thinking about giving, and that is what's happening under the, under the surface. What's going on inside the giving database? I think what most pastors don't know is that there's churn going on in their database. There are people who are coming in. There are people who are leaving. There are people who are staying, some of whom are doing more, some of whom are doing less. All of that lives in your giving dashboard. And If you just took a look underneath there, you'd have a much better understanding of what's really happening in the life of your church, especially in COVID season. So as your team is ramping up for the fall season and starting to think about 2022, the one thing that may not be quite at the top of your list, but should be, is clarity around the health of your church's culture of giving and generosity. I was talking to some friends at Generis recently, and you know, one of the realities is giving is kind of static, even though attendance is down. Well, what is behind it? The team at Generis will help you figure out where your vulnerabilities are, where your growth points are, and so much more by going to the Generosity Pulse Report. They will assess the short and long-term health of your church's giving and help you kind of map some meaning as you move into an uncertain future. You can understand your church's giving data by scheduling your free Generosity Pulse Report with Generis at generis.com slash carry. That's G-E-N-E-R-I-S, Genesis with an R, slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y. Thanks again to our partners uh, for doing such a great job of just bringing this to you for free week after week. And now I'm very excited to bring you my conversation with Amy Porterfield. Amy, welcome to the podcast. It's so good to have you here. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I've followed you for over a decade. I think that's fair. And so it's just a thrill to actually have you here. I want to start um, before you did what you're doing now. And I've heard you talk about this before on your show and other shows, but you worked with Tony Robbins for a number of years, which is a really interesting way to cut your teeth in leadership. Very. Uh, Yeah. What did you do? What was it like? And uh, what did you learn with Tony? So for about seven years, I was in the content department, which meant I worked on the content that Tony did on stage at events like Unleash the Power Within and Date with Destiny. So anyone who knows Tony knows those events or in his digital products as well. And so I was able to manage a small team of content writers and creators. And it was really a unique position because it was very close to Tony. He's Content is his baby, so he wants Mm. to be involved and in the trenches with us. So there was a lot of conversations and pitching and catching and in the moment creating content. So I really learned how to create content, how to inspire, how to encourage, how to educate through content from Tony. So I feel very fortunate for that. But when I was there, I got to dabble in other things as well. And near the end of the last probably year or so that I was there, Tony started to get really involved in creating digital courses and launching them online. And there's this one meeting that just like changed my life completely where Tony had invited a bunch of internet marketers to the San Diego office. And these are people that have been in internet marketing forever. They had digital courses and 
programs out there making multi-millions and making big impact in what they were doing. And he brought them all to the table. Now, humbling enough, although I wasn't an assistant, I was called into the meeting to take notes. And I was sitting at a table. I wasn't even at the main table. I was sitting at a side table, taking a bunch of notes. And one by one, the guys went around, it was all men, went around and talked about their online businesses, what they do, how they do it. And all of them had digital courses and all of them talked about freedom in their lifestyle, uh, time freedom, financial freedom, creativity freedom. And I instantly knew they were all their own bosses doing their own thing. And I didn't know exactly what they were doing or how they were doing it. But in that moment, I thought, I want to do that. I don't know what these guys are doing, but I want a piece of that. And so that's kind of started me thinking maybe one day I'd be an entrepreneur because never in my wildest dreams did I think that would be the case. I thought I'd be a corporate girl for life. I was climbing huh. that corporate ladder. But yeah, I got the entrepreneurial bug much, very much so because of Tony. And I wouldn't change those days for anything. So I want to go back because you have so many content creators listening. You have CEOs, you have entrepreneurs, but you also have a bunch of preachers who have to do a message every single week. And some of us can be a little bit controlling when it comes to writing and who speaks for us. Can you, how old were you, first of all, ish, when um, you were doing that content role for Tony Robbins? I was in my late 20s. Okay. So you're young. It's not like you've been doing this for 25 years no. and you're a seasoned pro. What was that dance like? between what you could do and what he did. I mean, just talk about it as far as you're comfortable, but I think yeah. a lot of people get burdened by communication because they feel like they have to do 100% all the time. Curious what you learned and what that dynamic was like. You know, that's such a great question. One thing I, I learned more than anything is that any piece of content must educate as well as entertain and inspire. And this is something I didn't know before. I was all about, I could educate. I could tell you step-by-step step exactly what to do. And in that case, we were talking about creating limiting thoughts and, and dealing with challenges and how to overcome. That was the content we were creating and becoming a leader and being stronger in those areas. So I could create the steps to get there. But what I really missed and what Tony taught me and where he interjected is the funny stories and mm the antidotes that he added and the case studies of other people. And what I realized is that a really good piece of content rounding it out has to have all those elements of the stories and the examples and bring it to life. And I didn't realize that before. And Tony was very much involved. And so sure. where, so if we would create a piece of content on whatever it might be, X, Y, Z, when what, what's interesting is we'd put it in a PDF or some kind of workbook, but then he'd also use it on stage. And when mm -hmm. he when he used it on stage, it really came alive with so many more layers than what we could do, let's say, in a PDF. So it was really interesting to see how con how the content would really be used throughout so many different ways and how it can become even more interesting, more engaging as we added these layers to it. See, that's so interesting because, uh, you know, I'm the same way. If it has my name on it, I wrote it or at least did the final edit on it. Yes. So, you know, I, I'm sure Tony was the same way, right? Very. But you were responsible for first or second drafts or redrafts or that kind of thing. Yes. Um, that's fascinating because he gave that to somebody in their 20s to do. 
And there's a lot of leaders listening who'd be very hesitant to find anyone even to do research for them or to try a first draft of something. What did you, you learned a little bit about anecdotes and information and entertainment from, from Tony Robbins. What else do you think makes him such a great communicator that you were able to incorporate in your work? Okay, so two things. Number one is that that man does his research. He hmm. asks so many questions of the people that he's going to serve that he knows them sometimes better than themselves. And what was interesting is when we would pitch and catch with content, he would ask us questions. You know, we we had a team of content developers that were all different ages, not just all young, all different sure. ages. So he would pull different, like, well, what was your situation with this? And how did you feel? Many times was I in the hot seat having to share a challenge I went through and him kind of picking it apart so he could put together his steps. So he did a lot of research. He cared deeply about the person he was serving. But here's another thing. If, if many of us were young and were creating this content, we would live and die by SOPs, standard operating procedures, where there would be a manual. This is how we create content here. And so when you were new in the content department at Tony Robbins, you were handed a manual. And this thing was like a, a Bible for content <laughs> creation in terms of how to speak in his voice, how we create content, what we do, what we don't do, all the things they learned throughout the years because he's been doing this for a long time. So they took the time to say, this is how we do it instead of hoping that I would kind of catch on. That was another thing that was unique that I've never seen anywhere else. That is a great idea because people right? who use a team and I use a team, my team wrote for me for a whole month this summer and signed it that way, carrying the team. But um, it was so powerful because Right. Otherwise, you sit there and say, well, Amy, that's not how you do it. No, Amy, that's not right. Here, give it to me. I'll rewrite it from scratch. And that was like so smart. Okay. Anything yeah. else for communicators? We're going to talk a lot about online courses, social media, email lists, which I think is really important to a lot of leaders, especially post-COVID. Now that everybody's online, anything else you want to share? I really appreciate you being willing to go there. Yeah. I think the last thing I'll share, which was unique about his communication style is he was so good at it because he wasn't afraid to tell the same story over and over again to different audiences. Sometimes we think like, oh, I've already told that story, so you don't wanna tell it again, or I've already put that in my book, so I'm not gonna tell it here. Tony knew that people are half listening half the time, and he's reaching new audiences. So he would tell the same story over and over and over again, but the, the thing was, he got so good at telling that story that each time you wanted to lean in a little bit more. So I think when, don't be afraid to repeat yourself. Don't be afraid to put it out there more than once because believe me, people don't remember half the stuff we say anyway, so maybe they hear it more than once. That's such a good advice. I was paralyzed about that as a young communicator. And I remember, oh, I talked about that. So I eventually got to the point where I'd ask my closest staff who are almost in every event that I do. And I would say, do you remember me telling a story about XYZ? And I was shocked because nine times out of 10, they didn't. Right. And they were there for everything. And I'm like, well, if they don't remember, then exactly. probably nobody else was listening that closely. So that's really good. So you made the jump mm -hmm. to move into your own online marketing company, right? Yes. Were you nervous? Oh, my goodness. So I was more than nervous. I took baby steps. So this is the one of the things I teach my students. I didn't just wake up one morning and say, I want to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to go do this. <laughs> I decided I'm going to give myself a year and I'm going to see how this is kind of going to play out. 
And I had an opportunity in corporate where I was in content and we were going through a transition and there was an opening in marketing. And I asked to move over to the marketing team because I wanted to know how we were going to launch digital courses. I just knew that was in my future one way or another. So I moved over to marketing, learned more there, gave it my all, and then eventually uh, left. And I left thinking I was going to create a bunch of digital courses on my own about online marketing. That was my expertise. And didn't know what the heck I was doing on my own. So I ended up taking clients. So for two years, I did social media and online marketing for small businesses. Right. Hated it. I always tease instead of having one big boss, literally, Tony's a big guy. I had like eight mini bosses bossing me around, telling me what to do because I didn't know how to set boundaries. Right. And so I created a business that I did not love. So the first two years, I literally created a business I did not love and eventually had to make the shift. But those those were two hard years. Interesting. What what made you real? Okay, so you didn't love it. Um, How did you pivot? How did you shift then? Because now you're online marketing made easy, right? Yes. So... I don't totally suggest the way I pivot. And this is another thing that I teach my students. Like, you don't need to do everything I've done. Like, I'll tell you my mistakes so you could sidestep these. So what I did is I had this one client that was just a jerk. It was just, (laughs) he just wasn't a good guy. And he was so difficult to work with. And it got to the point that there was a conversation. He's yelling on the phone. And I just thought, what have I done? This is not what I... I set out, I left an amazing job. My job with Tony was amazing. Paid well, we impacted lives. I got to work with Tony Robbins. I left that because I wanted to create something on my own. And then what I had created, I wasn't loving. And so this guy's yelling at me on the phone and all of this. And I just thought enough. So I technically fired all my clients. I said, I'm not doing this anymore. Closed down all the accounts. And I started creating digital courses. So that was my first like, I set out to create digital courses to teach online marketing. Let's do this. So that was when I made the shift. But I did it and I didn't have a lot of money in the bank. So I went backwards. I got into debt for a while until I could get my courses off the ground. Not something I suggest. Yeah, that's a that's a heavy weight <laughs> for yeah, sure. Very, but it was. Yeah, in the rearview mirror, it was probably all worth it. But yes, but in the moment. didn't need to happen that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I want to get into online courses and I want to talk about that. That's something you and I have in common. That is something I love doing. And we have about a half dozen that thousands of leaders have enrolled in and it's exciting. But let's start with email marketing because you talk about that a lot in your content, on your podcast, on your website, and you have courses that help people figure out email marketing. I think what everybody learned when the world shut down in March 2020 is, oh, the internet matters. And, you know, you, you may not know it, but there were a lot of churches that were not online. We've been online for years at our church, but a lot of churches were not online. And then it's like, wow, how do I talk to people? And so, well, we have an Instagram account, a Facebook account, and a few had a TikTok account. But as you know, algorithms run all of that. So um, talk to us about email marketing And while it might sound 15 years old, why is it still relevant today in 2021? Oh, I love this topic. So social media, as you know, is fickle. It comes and goes, changes on a dime. And like you said, that algorithm changes and your whole business model would need to change if you're putting all your eggs in one basket. And I always say, don't build your business on rented land. Social media is rented land. 
Your email list is something you own. It's an asset that you control. It is yours. And some people will say, ah, email's dead. Like give me text messages or posts on social, but I I don't open my emails. And I'll always say, I bet there's a few people, businesses, people that when you get an email from them, you're opening that email just like that. That is very normal for many people. And you can be that person to, you can be that to that person. And with email, what you're not competing against is all the algorithms or all the social media posts that are flying by at any minute. You could tell your stories, you can get more personal, and it's more consistently converting than anything else. Now, I'm not just talking about converting in terms of money, but getting people through your doors. Social media It is fickle enough that with email marketing, you can use it to get more people in your doors than you will ever get with, let's say, social media or Facebook or Instagram. So it is an an asset that literally should be the foundation of your business. Mm -hmm. It's so funny because you're right. And I want to camp on there for a little while, Amy. I have a friend, you probably know him as well. I don't want to name him because I don't have permission to tell the story, but he left a very big company. You would know the name as soon as I mentioned it. And he did not, he had an email list, he kind of half built of 25,000 names. And he's like you, solopreneur, this is what he does at what you used to be. But anyway, you know, that's how he started out. And then he kind of neglected his email list for a couple of years and tried to build it on social. And I remember a conversation with him. He's like, that was the stupidest thing I ever did. Now he's got this massive, like five or six figure email list, maybe 100,000 people on it. And he's so much more successful. But again, most people, including a lot of the leaders listening, would be like, email? Really? You guys feel like, is this, is this grandma and grandpa talking here? Like, what is going on? <laughs> but anybody who is having traction online seems to yes. be paying attention to email, right? I don't even know one person that is marketing online that has, let's say, six-figure, seven-figure business that doesn't bank on their email list. I couldn't even yeah. name one person. No, I can't either. And, and again, I try to tell this to leaders and everybody yawns. And that's the thing about like for church leaders, because we do have church leaders listening, they capture that information every Sunday, every week. They have to for donations, right? Yeah. And yet it sits there untapped and they're like, oh, we have 128 followers on Instagram and nobody really seems to be engaging. What would you tell them, even the small startup, the small business, the small congregation about the power in their email list that they're sitting on and perhaps not using or perhaps using it the wrong way. Yes. So when you think about writing emails, what I don't want you to think about is like boring emails with a little bit of information and and you just one and done and you're you're moving on. I'm talking about interesting subject lines and storytelling and uh, engaging examples and spotlighting your members. I'm talking about really creating relationships with them in the through your email marketing. Now, you could do both. I'm not saying do email and don't do social media. I love the combination of both. But with email, you can consistently get in front of them with less distractions. And with that, you can start having more of a real conversation with them, adding more information. You actually have more of their attention when they open up an email versus look at a social media post. And think of it this way. Let's say you had 200 people on your email list and you think, I only have 200 people on my email list. 
what I always say is, okay, let's invite all 200 people over to your house. Let's have them over for coffee. And oh, with that a lot of people, you can't fit them in your kitchen. Like these are human beings that are caring about what you have to say. So I'm not going for hundreds of thousands of people on the email list for my students. What I'm going for is like real relationships that are consistently being nurtured. Hmm. What are some common email mistakes that you see people make with their list? Oh, I've got a few. So number one is not emailing consistently. My rule is once a week at, at least. For me, I email every Thursday with a link to my podcast, Online Marketing Made Easy. Every Thursday, you're going to get an email from me. But it's not go listen to my podcast. It's a really interesting subject line, which is tip number two. You've Mm got to pay attention to that subject line. There's so many free resources out there about how to write a good email subject line. It's worth paying attention to. You've got to get past the first hurdle is getting them to open the email. Can we camp on that for a second? Because I was yep. going to ask you that. Sorry for interrupting. Yep. I was going to ask you, okay, so the subject line could be, I have a new episode this Thursday, or right. we have a new service on the weekend, or I have a new course available. What's wrong with that subject line? Break break that down a little bit. It is all me, 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 meaning the person <laughs> that's putting it out there. Your yeah. subject line needs to be about them or It needs, if you have a connection, like I'm a personal brand, you're a personal brand. If if they're connecting with us, it's something that invites them in. They don't care that you have a new service. They don't care that I have a new podcast. What they care about is that you're going to address their challenges or desires or pain points, or you're going to let them in because you know something that they want. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's subject lines that kind of pique your interest and like, wait, I want to know more about that. Wait, what are you going to tell me? They've got to pique that curiosity or they're not going to be touched. So it's literally one of the most important parts of email marketing. But yeah, those subject lines that are boring and all about you versus about them, it's going to stop the open rate in its track. Like people aren't opening. Do you have any favorite subject lines? Like you've written thousands over the years. Do you have one or two that you can remember and like, oh, this would be killer. I wish. I can't remember the exact subject lines, but I will tell you my favorite style of subject line is something that my favorite email or text to get is when someone says, I thought you were writing that just to me. And they don't think I fooled them or anything, but it was just so personal that they just thought, oh, I thought you were reaching out directly to me. And those are, and even my good friends who are on my email list will send that to me. And I'm like, oh, good, because I want you to feel as though this is for you. So they're my favorite. Also, the ones that um, let people in. So I'm a personal brand and people want to know what I do behind the scenes and how I do it and all that. And quite honestly, even if you're a brand, people want to know the people behind that brand. Mm -hmm. We just want to know what's going on. So if it's like a sneak peek into my morning ritual, or this is that one thing that I did for one year straight to get me XYZ results, it's they want to know the secrets or the tips or the things that I don't typically share. So those always work well for me as well. But it's different. For church leaders, that's going to be so very different. And if I was a church leader writing a subject line for an email, I would literally get into the brain of my members of my church and I'd find out what are they talking about? What are they worried about? What do they want? And I would use their words in my subject line. That's the best copy when you're literally taking their words and using it in your marketing. So they say, I feel like you're literally in my head. Those are the best compliments you can get. 
Okay, I know we're in the middle of a list, but that is yes. so rich. I don't want to let it go. We'll come back to the list. Okay. You're so right. I mean, you talk about that. Ramit Sethi talks about that, right? With, yes, with actually Ramit. using their words. How do you figure out what your audience is thinking? How do you know what your yes. audience is, is worried about? So I'm going to go a little bit scrappy with this. And I'm going to tell you what I do and what I teach my students to do. Now, I'm going to warn you when I say this, a lot of people won't do this. They won't do it because it might make them feel uncomfortable. It takes up time. It's too personal, whatever. It is gold. I get on the phone with them. And now mm -hmm. these days I get on a Zoom and I ask them a bunch of questions. I've done it and my team members now do it more so than I do it. And we literally take notes and type out exactly what they're saying. And in my, in my world, we'll ask questions like, what did, what were you doing before you found my course about XYZ? Like what, what was going on in your head? What did you think every day? What did you tell your spouse about the struggles you were going through? We want to know, like, what were you saying? And how about now? What, when you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing that you think? Like, these are the questions that are gold when you're writing copy and wanting to resonate with your audience. So we literally get on Zoom calls and record them. That's awesome. How long is a typical call? Because I hear leaders already, you're right. They're going to be like, I'm too busy for that, I'm too busy. Amy. You know? I'm too busy. Yes. Yeah. So uh, calls can be about 20 to 30 minutes. And uh, the leaders that are listening, remember, you don't have to do this. I've trained three people on my team to do it as well. And I think that here's one thing that's interesting. A leader of a church or me, a personal brand, when we get in front of one of our, my student, one of their members, they're a little bit intimidated when they're talking to like the head honcho or whatever. Right. It's yeah. actually better if it's a team member who, so that they're going to kind of be more honest and open and not feel nervous. So it doesn't even need to be the church leader or the CEO or whoever's listening. It's actually better maybe if it's not. You just gave me an idea um, because I thought, what if, what if in my company we have eight team members? Everybody makes one of those calls once a week. Once Is that too much? Oh, incredible. Incredible. Yes. Okay, and, so and one of those I calls once you, a week or once a month or, or what? Like what's I, a good frequency? I think that really it's um, what we did is we set a goal. This quarter we want, we have goals. Like this quarter we want to talk to, let's say a hundred of our students. And typically wow. we're doing it either to, to um, build out a case study or to troubleshoot where someone's struggling. So we, we typically have themes that we're like, oh, well, I just identified this person's struggling with launching. Let's get on a call with them and find out what they're struggling with. But a lot of the times it's building out testimonials and success stories as well. But sure. we don't just want to know about their wins. We want to know about what was hard. And that's the stuff we use in our email marketing. So we get, we get to um, help other people with this success story. But I will also tell you, these stories are what gets me up in, in, in the morning when I've had a hard day before. These stories are literally the fuel to get me through the hard stuff of being an entrepreneur and building my business because they're fuel. They like burst your heart open when you hear what you've been able to help them do or when you hear where they're struggling and you get a light under you, you, you feel like I got to fix this. I'm the person that could help. It goes both ways, but it's pretty cool for the person listening just as much as the person selling, telling the story. That's so good. And my team would agree with you 100%. Their favorite thing is the interaction with people. And I think, I think otherwise you're just guessing, right? Like you're really just guessing. Completely. Completely. Wow. Yep. 
Okay, end of excursus. Uh, is there more on the list? Were there two things? What were we okay, talking so about? We were talking I, about mistakes or p- best practices. So for email emailing marketing. consistently. So at least okay. once a week. And in some, the first question I get when I say that is, what am I emailing about? What am I talking about once a week? And typically for the students that I teach, it's you've got a new podcast out or a new blog out or a new video that was created. So you're sharing some original content every single week, but it could be a story you tell or um, you're working on your sermon and you wanna give a little tidbit of what's to come and what this, why you're telling these stories. It could be a behind the scenes. So. Mm-hmm. So that's what you're doing every single week. And you can brainstorm this. You can batch it, meaning doing four emails in one week so you don't have to always be on the hook. There's ways to get around that. Right. You but mean from other, a workflow standpoint. So workflow you're not sending standpoint. out four, but you're just writing them in advance. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So okay. emailing once a week, really paying attention to those subject lines, and then also giving people an opportunity to respond back to you. This is something, a mistake that a lot of people, when their email lists are small, they don't do this. And I really want people to take advantage of this. When your email list is small, tell them to respond back, hit reply, let me know what you think, or ask a question at the end, hit reply. You get into a little bit of that conversation they're paying attention next time you email because they know you cared enough to have a conversation with them. I know you can't do that when your list gets really big, but you can do it when it's still small. Yeah, it's interesting. So we email 81,000 leaders almost daily. It's That's just a little a nugget. That's a lot of 81,000. <laughs> That's a lot. And I actually have a staff member who replies on my behalf. And occasionally it comes to me if it's like really problematic or whatever. Um, but that kind of engagement, people are ridiculously grateful for it. Oh, goes so far. Yeah. It really does. Even if your list is huge and you can't get to everyone, even if you just get to a few of them, it really means a lot to them. Anything else on email marketing, mistakes or best practices, Amy? I think the last thing I'll say is someone might be saying, how am I supposed to even grow my email list? Like, how yes. do I get people on my email list? And really the simple way to do it is with what we call a lead magnet. It's some kind of freebie that you give away in exchange for a name and email. And what I will say in terms of mistakes is a newsletter is not good enough. It's not attractive enough. In most cases, if you're a big name and you've got tons of people watching, okay. But typically for the small business owner, uh, join my email list is not going to cut it. So what I'm looking for is maybe a 20 or 15, 20 minute audio on some topic you know they'd find valuable or a quick short video or some kind of guide or cheat sheet or something that they can print out and they can do something with. What would be so valuable that they'd say, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is free. This is really good. Those are the type of lead magnets that you put on social media. You talk about when you get interviewed on a podcast, you mention it in church, wherever you want to, and tell people where to go to get it. This is going to grow your email list. Take the time to create something of value that you give away for free. How do you avoid unsubscribes? That has been a trigger for me over the years. Uh, I know you're going to get some inevitably, but what are some things that just cause massive unsubscribes? Okay, so here's the thing. It's so different for everybody. I'm not incredibly outspoken, but some of my peers are. So they will just say what they want, how they want, anytime. And they're constantly getting unsubscribes because they surprise someone with a zinger that they, they're like, why would you say that? They just get mad and unsubscribe. Most of us aren't that way. And so with unsubscribes, what I always tell my students is let's pay attention when there's a spike 
that's a little unusual. Like you said, every email you send, you will get some unsubscribes. I never pay attention unless my team pays attention if there's a spike. And if there's a spike, what I do is I go back in that email and I think, what's happening here? What could I have said that people are like, I don't want to listen anymore. Or maybe it was just really boring and they're just kind of over me. I mean, you sometimes you don't know, but I do like to do my research. And typically if you see a spike in unsubscribes, you will also see a spike in people responding back, telling you what they're upset about, what they don't like, mm-hmm. why, why they're leaving. So you could pay attention to that as well. But if there's not a spike, a steady stream of unsubscribes is 100% normal. So one of the things that's a trend right now, or at least a, um, an emerging trend, is text message marketing. And you yes. see the people online who's like, you'll get a 99% open rate. Oh, by the way, what is a good, healthy open rate these days on an email list? So a good, healthy open rate would be somewhere between 20 to 25%. Okay. So I bet you guys are even over that. A we're lot a little of, higher. A lot of- we're, we're pushing 30 Good. I was going to say a lot of marketers who who do it right and do it consistently and care deeply can get up to those 30. But most people are around 20 to 25 percent. Yeah. And when we were smaller, it was a higher open rate. I mean, we we held at 50 percent for years when the list was 10 or 15,000. Like it was small and well, smaller. Beautiful. And we had it. So we've watched it go down a little bit, but we're we are seeing great engagement, which is good. So text message marketing. What do you think about that? I love it. I love it. I think it's fantastic. For for me, uh, email marketing will always be our foundation, but we're always very open to trying new things. And I think as online marketers, you know, I believe we are all online marketers. If we have a small business, we really should pay attention to what's working and not be afraid to try it out. So we do some text messaging specifically for um, smaller groups inside my company. So uh, somebody who bought a certain product or someone's in a membership with me, they're getting text messaging. So we haven't tried it um, on a long-term basis with my entire audience. We just tried it with smaller groups and we really love it. And you have to be careful because there are lots of regulations that you could break the rules really quickly. So mm-hmm. know the rules and understand what's appropriate and not for text messaging because you're playing at a bigger game now versus um, uh, just posting on social media. But I love it. What do you feel? How do you feel about Yeah, you know, we are getting into it. Uh, a friend just acquired a, like a text messaging service. So we're partnering with them. But I love your, it made me nervous because like texts still feel personal. Email has become marketed. I mean, listen to Seth Godin on that. And we've had him on this show as well. So, I mean, people, people can follow Seth and people like that on email marketing. And I, I do think you're into permission marketing, right? So email yeah. is permission marketing. So what made me nervous, because we don't buy email addresses, that's a built list, not a bot list. It's like earned. Right. So we got, we got that. But I guess, I guess I like your idea of an inner circle or a follow-up to something. Because I, I think if I sent a daily text message, I would be annoyed with me doing that. I don't right. know why, but I, I would be. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think... Um, you know, we're always here in our in our phone in the text messages uh, comes up as a notification different than email. Yeah. So it's a little yeah. bit more in your face. And so with that, I agree. I don't think I'd want to text message my my audience every single day. 
But when they're paying customers that are literally going through a program with me in the moment, I've noticed that they really uh, appreciate the reminders to get in the group, get into your program, check in with your accountability partner. When they're in it, it tends to work really well for us. Or to give them early access to something oh, yes. or to let them know something's coming up. That's a, that's really smart. That's helpful. So we're going to be drilling down on that over the next six months. But yeah, I had, I had more hitches about that than email marketing. Although, just for the record... I made all the mistakes you're talking about with my email list while I was figuring it out, right? Nice. Getting terrified and not emailing people unless I had an announcement of some kind or something on sale. And then you get massive unsubscribes. It's like, what are you doing? And then that's when I started to say, well, why don't I just help people every day? And occasionally our mutual friend, Michael Hyatt, right? He has that 10 to one ratio, help people 10 times for every one time you ask for something. So a regular messaging allows us to do that. And I think um, maybe something in the text field might help with that too. So really I'm going to get okay, on your email list. I want to see what you're emailing every day with such great success. That's really impressive. Not many so, people can do that. I'll, get, I'll give a tiny bit of the secret sauce, but I'd love okay. to interview you. And we're going to continue this, Amy. <laughs> um, you know what? They're usually short. They're usually like 50 to 100 words. It's a little leadership nugget. So if all you read is the email is great. And nine times out of 10, there's a link to something else I wrote because I've been doing this for seven years. There is fresh content, but there's a lot of older content that help leaders solve problems. So occasionally we haven't sent it out during you know the morning and then we get a whole flood of emails. Where's your stuff? Where's your stuff? Where's your stuff? Yes. So that's a good so sign. Wonderful. And you're an example of someone who could say, get on our newsletter or whatever you call it, because it's daily. When people yeah. are emailing just once a week, it's not as attractive, but daily daily hits like that, quick and easy in and out, that is something that's very attractive to people. So you're a little bit of an exception there yeah, as well. But you know what? We got away from that because that was Did our you? approach three or four years ago. So now there's lead magnets and we, we right. try to offer value, like real value, you know, the joke, and we're not exclusive in this, but we want our free stuff to be better than most people's paid stuff, right? Amen. So yes. if you get a download, we want it to be real quality where you're like, wow, you over-delivered as opposed to, you know, a little infographic you made up in 10 minutes. And people are like, really? I gave you my personal email address for that? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Any feedback on that? Any any thoughts for us? Any coaching for our team, Amy, based on what no, you've heard? What you said is so priceless. And I hope everyone really heard that. You want your free stuff to be better than most people's paid stuff so that when they get it, instant trust is built. Because if you put the time to give them that free, whatever it is, and it's really good, they're going to start thinking, what else they got? Like, what else do you have that I can get in there with? So it's so important to take the time to make it great. There have been times where I've written something and I thought, we're really giving this away for free? We're oh, really me too. including this as a bonus? You're like... Yes. Like, <laughs> okay, oh. that's a good that's sign. Like, you know, I used, to, I used to say this all the time. If it hurts a little bit to give it away for free, you're on to something great. So, yeah. Ah, uh, that's good to know. What about... Yeah. Okay, this is fun too, because you're right. Not everybody's listening, but people who... We're going to get into paid courses here, but, you know, occasionally we have a very, very low refund rate. Like, Think it's one percent or lower so we're very thrilled with that because when yeah. you pay for a product we want it to be killer occasionally we've heard oh i heard some of this stuff on your blog or i picked up some of that on your podcast i look at courses as there is exclusive stuff in there but yeah. um you know it's packaged it's like video one through ten and here's the workbook and here's the the slick whatever and we don't i don't think we overcharge for our courses so 
you know, it's not like we're charging you thousands of dollars for this information. It's um, sometimes dozens of dollars, sometimes low hundreds of dollars, depending on the course uh, and where we set the value point. Um, but any worry that sometimes behind the paywall, there's material that got out somewhere else. I mean, if it's a direct copy of what you get for free, it's a ripoff. Any thoughts on that? Because back to your point, a lot of leaders think this has to be 100% original. I've only said it here. Yes. So I have this rule when I teach digital courses, I say that in a digital course, 20% of that can be different content you've already put out there free in different ways. Ah. And and I've been doing this for 12 years and not wow. once in 12 years has anyone said, Amy, that thing that you charged me for in your course, I saw it on your podcast. It's there. Mm. Never. Because exactly what you said, when it goes into a course, I might have taught it for a little piece of that for free on my podcast, but I didn't put it in the sequence that I'm teaching. I didn't show you, I didn't drill down. I didn't accompany with it, a guide with it. I always go deeper in my course, but 20% overlap is very normal from your free stuff into your paid stuff because this is the stuff we've created. This is the stuff we talk about all the time. So that overlap is very normal. What about leaders who would be afraid, or this is more in the business space than not-for-profit space, but would be afraid about um, giving away too much for free? I hear that objection all the time. Well, so much of your intellectual property is out there for free, and obviously we have a similar approach to our courses, so I'm not terribly worried about that. But man, you should have been charging for that. Why? We do a lot of really good stuff for free. Is there a downside to that, or should you be worried about that? I've never seen a downside for it. I see a lot of people worried about that. This is a question yep. I too get asked a lot in the sense of, I actually have a podcast about it because I get asked so much, what do you give away for free versus what do you have people pay for? And in a in a big, broad, broad sense, I often say the free stuff is typically more of the, the what, what what it's all about, what's possible for them, uh, why it matters. And a lot of my paid stuff is literally step by step by step, do this for these results. Wow. But sometimes yeah. step by step is free as well. But I do try to keep the very specific instruction to the paid and um, some really good stuff in my free but if you want to drill down, you know you have to pay for it. And, and I know that I get results for people. So I have no qualms about charging for the very specific step-by-step, -step, but I don't give all that away for free. Hmm. Okay, that's a really good guide, and that helps. So let's talk about online courses. So this is really interesting. There, you know, fitness instructors started offering online courses or online classes in the last year and a half. Uh, restaurants started doing cooking classes, right? Or how to make this at home, our favorite recipe, how to do it at home, that kind of thing. And even churches, I mean, that always used to be building centric. And now yeah. there's an increasing number of, of churches that with great success are getting into online courses, whether they charge for them or are free. And then there are companies like yours and mine that they're, they're the heart of what we do in many ways, right? So what what are some guidelines for people who want to get into online courses? And I get those emails from friends on a regular basis. Hey, you're successful in online courses. How do you do it? What do you do? What are your top tips, Amy? 
So I am a huge fan of online courses because it allows you to reach many people where a lot of people, if you have a brick and mortar, you uh, have a church, you have a small business, if you're working one-on-one especially or in small groups, there's only so many people you can serve with your knowledge and know-how and skill set. So the reason I love digital courses so much is because you can reach so many more people. Now, when someone comes to me and says, how do I know if I should add a digital course to my business? My answer is typically, yes, you should. And how you choose a topic or what you're going to teach is what I call the 10% edge. And the 10% edge is before you teach anything, whether it be on stage or in a digital course, but we're talking about courses specifically, you want to make sure you're at least 10% ahead of those you serve and that you've gotten results for yourself or typically for your clients or customers, and you can replicate how you got those results in a step-by-step process. And so you have to think about what do people wanna know? What are you constantly asked about when you do something in your business, in your personal life, or who's ever listening in terms of thinking about a digital course, what are people, when are they saying, how did you do that? Or what exactly Mm. went into whatever happened right there? So it's the questions people ask and where they're most interested that really starts shining a light on what you could create a course around. But I tell people the 10% edge because yes, you need to have gotten results already so you can teach that, but you don't have to be the expert of all experts with tons of certifications or PhDs or anything like that. You just need to be ahead of those you serve so you can lead the way. Oh, that's so good. And you know what? In the not-for-profit space, like I always felt guilty. I was one of a handful of people with a seminary education. I read the Bible differently. And then I did before I had a seminary education. So you could do a course on how to read the Bible or Bible basics. You can give it away for free or or whatever you want to do. And in businesses, like there's something, I look at even how chefs cut things. You ever notice that? Like they- uh, Yes, I do. They have a way to cut. I cut fingers and cut poorly. (laughs) And my- Oh yeah. My peppers look like they were run over by a truck like that, that. And I'm like, I would like someone to show me how to cut properly. Now you can go to YouTube. Okay. Here's a, here's a question. I I can find all that stuff on YouTube, Amy. I love it. Okay. So basically the question is why would somebody buy my digital course if it's all free on YouTube, right? Exactly. Cause I could learn that in two minutes when we hang up. You could. So I have a student, her name is Sarah. We call her Sarah Sourdough. And she teaches busy moms how to make sourdough bread and different sourdough recipes. And what I didn't know, because I can't cook to save my life, is that with sourdough bread, it starts with a starter that you have to prepare and and you have to wait for it to get to a certain place. I don't know. And so- So she teaches busy moms, because she's a busy mom herself, how to make this beautiful sourdough bread. If you go to YouTube, there are thousands and thousands, especially since COVID, and thousands of different hits on how to make sourdough bread. So why are they paying money? Why is she able to make six figures with a digital course around sourdough bread when you can find it on YouTube for free? And what I know to be true is that people gravitate toward different people they want to learn from. She's created a relationship with them. They're on her email list. She's checking in with them regularly. She's inviting them into her world. They don't want to just learn sourdough bread. They have a relationship with Sarah and they want Mm. to learn it from her. She has a unique style that other people don't. She knows tips and secrets that other people aren't sharing. But more importantly, even if Sarah wasn't someone they absolutely loved, People will pay not to hunt and peck all over the web to find out what they want. If they have a challenge 
or desire, people are willing to pay for it if you package it up and say, this is exactly how to get the results you're looking for. Now, a one-off quick video on how to cut peppers, yeah, that's a YouTube. <laughs> yeah, that's but a YouTube thing. But, but learning from a chef, all the different techniques that he's learned for the last 20 years, and now he's going to teach you so you can be a better chef in your kitchen for your family, that's an experience. Digital courses are more of a whole experience that people can go through. I love what you said too. And I don't, I just want to underscore this, Amy, because I don't want leaders to miss it. It's the relationship they have with Sarah. And yes. most of the leaders listening, because I know my audience, are in a place where they have a relationship with their clients, with their customers, with their congregation, and they trust you as a leader. So learning something from you is different than learning it from chef school or a seminary or some fitness guy in New York City who you'll never meet. No, no slam on Peloton. But you know what I mean? Like learning it from you is is very different. And I I sometimes neglect because I think about that, like I have a team development course and I'm like, well, you could learn that anywhere in the world. But we've sold a lot of team development courses, lead a better team. You know, and I think people just like, no, I want to learn this from Kerry because I know his team, follow his team, followed him. And so you have that edge. And I think a lot of leaders think they don't. Is that fair? Yeah. Um, very fair. Many leaders mm. think they don't. And here's something I can promise you. All the, all the students that I've taught how to create a digital course, and they're in all different worlds from um, people that work at the church to people that train dogs to make sourdough, to teach people financials, to get your babies to fall asleep, to gardening, to all these different things. Every single one of them, if you ask them, do you think that you are the expert that should be teaching this? I don't think one of them would have said, yes, I am. I I know more than most. I should be teaching this. What they think is, I have a desire to, to serve people. I want to show them how to do something that comes very natural to me. I feel called to impact other lives. And this is the best way that I know to do it. And then they have these wildly successful launches and they're like, yeah, I am the person to teach it, but they sure as heck don't start there. So you're very right in what you just said. Oh, that's good. Um, I know we got a few minutes left. Um, what are some other tips on online marketing? Because I mean, you've got over a decade into this and then all your Tony Robbins time as well that you think leaders pay attention to this, just pay attention to this, know this. What would you say? How would you fill in that blank? Oh, I love this question. So I, this is coming from a girl that doesn't necessarily love to jump on video all the time, although I do it all the time. And I'll tell you why. I think with online marketing, we must embrace video. And, you know, we've been, I've been saying this for years. It was interesting that uh, Instagram just came out and said, we are not a photo sharing site we are a video sharing site. We Video is our thing. And, and I hear that and I think, holy cow, it's just continuing to grow and grow and grow. And I, I remember, this is how long I've been around. When Facebook Live first came out, I remember thinking, I hope it doesn't succeed because I don't want to have to go live all the time. <laughs> and now fast forward, I am live like five times a week. And so here's what I'll say for I was I've always been self-conscious in front of video, how I look, how I sound, it's just something I deal with. However, I know that if I don't show up this way and I'm very passionate about serving those I serve, if I don't show up, someone will very, very uh, likely love to just step in there and do it as well. And I want to serve. I want to be that person. I've worked too hard not to show up for them. And I care deeply. So I have a little bit of a competitive spirit. So that's why I say like, I'm going to do this, but find a way to embrace video. 
even if you don't love how you look or love how you sound or anything like that, because it is the most powerful way of connecting with your audience, hands down. Would you agree? I'm so glad you said that. And you know, it's funny because I've done video for years. Like when I was in the church, I was up every week. We filmed it since 07, been a multi-site church, the whole deal. But in this new period of my life, I'm resisting it like crazy. I would rather write. I would rather do whatever. I have a DSLR sitting right over there (laughs) that my team installed eight months ago and I don't use it. So someone's coming here next Friday to make sure all the settings are right. And then I'm going to start shooting video. I have the expensive mic kit for it and everything. And I'm, I'm with you. Thing. And I'm like, I would rather just sit behind my keyboard and write and not do video. I don't know what that is, but I'm going to have oh. to jump into video too. Um, here's a question. Normal. Does it have to cost a bucket of money? No. Can you do it off your iPhone? Oh, 1 million percent. Right now, I have a fancy setup because I do it so much, but it wasn't too long ago that I stacked up some books, put a little light in front of me, and put up my iPhone and just propped it up. And an iPhone is pretty amazing in terms of what it can do for photos or videos. So yes, no fancy equipment required. Actually, I think what's working best is more of the gritty real stuff versus professional like my fancy camera and all. Yeah, I I would tend to agree. People want to see you. They do. They really do. You're writing a new book. Uh, Can you spill the beans? I am. What's it about? Deep in the writing process right now. And it's a book for uh, primarily women, but gentlemen can enjoy it as well. It's all about leaving behind, let's say, a nine to five job or something that you're doing right now that isn't fulfilling you and taking the big leap into becoming your own boss and starting your own online business. So it's all about what that leap looks like, how to do it. And it was my journey of how I did it and sharing a lot of my students' journeys as well. So it's hopefully going to inspire, but also educate, like we talked about earlier, because I've got a step-by-step plan on how to start an online business. I can't wait to read it. And I already think of a few people I'm going to buy copies for. So that's awesome, Oh, I love it. Thank you. Hey, and I mean this sincerely. You know, this is the podcast question, but I really want anyone who isn't following you to start following you because I've been a longtime listener, first-time caller today. But (laughs) And I'm really honored you would come on on the show. But I've been listening to you for probably over a decade. Uh, and following your stuff. Thank you. Just so my audience knows, a lot of what you have benefited from is through what I've learned from Amy and some of her friends. And so if you think this stuff doesn't work, you should think again. It really does. And it helped me, you know, build an audience that I now have the privilege of serving. So if people want to connect with you, what's the best way? Well, thank you so much for having me and so much for asking this question. Uh, Online Marketing Made Easy. It's my podcast. So if you have podcast listeners, people listening right now that enjoy your show, hopefully they would enjoy some online marketing strategies as well. So Online Marketing Made Easy. Thanks so much for asking. Amy, this is a lot of fun. I hope it's round one. There's so much we could talk about, but I really appreciate you sharing with the leaders who who listen here. And thanks for all that you do. Really grateful for you. Thank you so very much. You take care. Well, that was practical and helpful, and you may want more. We've got transcripts for you at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 445. And uh, we also have a few shareables you can share on social. Give her a shout out on social media. Hey, we are back. This is podcast month. uh, And so we are doing a lot of work to give you really practical steps and training so that you leave September better at productivity, better at online marketing, and so much more. We've got Juliet Funt next time. 
and she is a productivity expert. We talk about white space in your calendar and why we have so much busy work that doesn't seem to amount to anything. They needed decks, spreadsheets, PDFs, infographics. And he had this gut instinct that it was too much, but he didn't say it. He complied and he began to build these things. But in uh, in each one of them, he put a note. And it wasn't in the footer or in a sneaky place where you had to really look. It was just in the middle. It said on page, I don't know, two or three of each thing. If you're actually reading this, email me and I'll send you a $50 Amazon gift card. <laughs> That's brilliant. So he put, of course, he puts out all the collateral material. Of course, nobody ever writes him for the money. And then the punchline is that when the team that ordered the materials came back to him the following year, they had an even longer list of stuff that they needed. And he was able to say, you don't need any of this because not only did nobody write in, <laughs> the team that asked for them when they were in their pre-production review, they also missed all of the links because they were skimming and they didn't read it. And so... So that's a thief of information at its worst. So it's Juliet Funt next time on the podcast. Also, the master of habits, Charles Duhigg, Mike Todd, Jacqueline Novogratz. Who else have we got? Erwin McManus is coming up, Dave Hollis, Beth McCord, and so many others. Had a fascinating conversation with Jessica Jackley, the founder of Kiva as well. So we just want to bring you the best conversations, practical and philosophical, here on the podcast. If you subscribe, you get it all for free. In a few minutes, I'm going to do an Ask Me Anything About Productivity. We're going to talk about how do you stay productive when things are not going well, when things are failing? Uh, it's a great question, and it's happening to a lot of leaders these days. If you've got a question you want me to answer, just go to kerryneuhoff.com slash podcast, click the button that says Start Recording. And uh, this is all to celebrate the launch of my new book. It's called At Your Best. And if you ever catch yourself saying, I don't have the time, didn't get a chance to get it done, I just can't right now, and those words come out of your mouth, check out At Your Best. You can go to atyourbesttoday.com or anywhere books are sold. It's been number one in its categories for a while now, and I am so grateful for all the support around the book. Hey, ask me anything about productivity. Remember, before we dive in there, to check out ProMedia Fire Social Media Challenge. Go to socialmediachallenge.com. Get two weeks of live training and elevate your game before you get into the holidays. And then if you want a free generosity report to really bring some clarity about where your church is at, go to generis.com forward slash carry. That's G-E-N-E-R-I-S.com forward slash C-A-R-E-Y. Okay, so Tim had a really helpful question, honest question about productivity. What do you do when you're in a rough season? Here's his question. Hi, Carrie. My name is Tim. I've been in a season where I've had failure after failure after failure, the opposite of the Midas touch. But my basic question is, when you've had a series of failures, how do you keep your motivation up to keep trying? I find myself when new things come across, come my way, not being urgent at all to do anything, to I drag my feet and I realize it's because I have this attitude of, well, why bother? It's not, this isn't going to work either. So how do we keep our motivation up when we've been through a very dry season? So Tim, let me start by saying thank you for your question. We have all been there in one season or another. And uh, yeah, things can get very unproductive. Not everything we touch turns to gold. And it can be super challenging and very frustrating and very discouraging. It leads a lot of people to 
quit, to give up, and I would encourage you to keep going, okay? You got a lot of leadership left and you got a lot of hope left. And so I just want to encourage you along that way. However, we all hit walls, right? So when I get unproductive, when things are not working, here's where I start. I ask myself, what am I learning? Because doing the same thing over and over again and getting diminishing returns is not going to help anybody. It's not going to help you. It's certainly not going to help the people that you're trying to serve. So uh, a couple of possibilities, Tim, to think about. You may have already done this, but I would ask yourself, is this a great idea with the wrong execution? Like maybe you have a really good idea. If you're a church leader, right, you've got the gospel. That's a really good idea. Maybe you've just got the wrong execution. On the other hand, sometimes I've got something I'm very excited about, and I think, oh, this is a great idea. And actually, we executed it really well, but it wasn't a great idea. It was the wrong idea. So it could be you had great execution. You did everything right, but you just had a bad idea, and it didn't work out. So it could be great idea, wrong execution, or great execution, wrong idea. Another question to ask is, is this the wrong team? Have I got the right people to do what I'm called to do? Uh, have we got the right team, the right idea, but we've got the wrong approach? And one of the best ways to do this, you can do your own analysis, but what I would encourage you to do is find some sharp people that know you, that are for you, and who will be willing to tell you the truth. So get those people together and say, what do you see that I am not seeing? And then open your notebook, keep your mouth shut, listen let them give you very honest feedback. You do not want your yes club. You do not want people who are like, oh, it's okay, Tim, everything's all right. No, you want people who love you enough to tell you the truth. And it'll probably hurt. It, it hurts me when people tell me, actually, this video isn't very good. Or no, I mean, at your best, <laughs> I went through eight drafts of it. And it's so weird because I've worked with this content for so long. It's been a life message. And I sent the very first draft two years ago out to readers and they're like, yeah, you know what, it really kind of took off down the road. But like chapter five, I was interested, but the first part just wasn't all that interesting. And I'm like, you're kidding me. Do you know how hard I worked on that? And uh, on the other hand, I got a text the other day and that, that was like draft one. Okay, so we went through eight drafts. I got a random text from a friend the other day who has written multiple New York Times bestselling books. And he just said, Carrie, digging into at your best. This is the best book you've ever written. Well, it didn't start that way. I can tell you that. Even though the idea was great, I had to go through multiple, multiple drafts. I almost quit. And I hope it's the best book I've ever written. I'm most proud of this book. And uh, it's, it's sold the most of any book I've written solo. So I'm very excited for that. But it didn't start that way. So it could be, I had a great idea. It was the wrong execution. Um, didn't have the wrong team. I had the wrong approach. And it was all the multiple outside perspectives, random readers that we selected, friends who read early manuscripts, different editors who worked with me, that we got it to the point where it was completely polished. So you don't have to give up. But that was very discouraging. I remember one afternoon, I think it was in 2019, where I was just ready to quit. I'm like, I'm not going to write this book, okay? This should be the easiest one to write. It's the hardest one to write. I'm, I'm just going to quit. Well, I'm so glad I didn't quit. So glad I got that outside perspective. So yeah, we've all been there. Now, the other thing I would say, and this is, I'm going to lift this from at your best, is you want to think long-term, Tim, because you've got a lot of leadership in years left, uh, about this triad I talk about in the book. These are three like circles that form together as a Venn diagram around gifting, passion, and impact, because that is where you're going to have your greatest future impact. 
So gifting is uh, simply, are you operating in the area of your gifts, Tim, or are you outside of your gifts? I define gifting, and I borrowed this from Andy Stanley, as what seems easy to you that seems complicated or impossible to others. So I've always had an interest in music. I'm good at playing music through Spotify. I cannot, you know, string together chords if my life depended on it. But I watch a musician get up and like play music and sing at the same time. And I'm like, how do you do that? And they're like, it's not that hard. It's easy. Well, it seems really complicated to me. On the other hand, I can get up and give a 45 minute keynote almost without notes. Well, without notes. And people are like, how do you do that? I'm like, it's not that hard, right? Or writing content most days, not that hard. So that's your gifting. What's your gifting, Tim, I would ask. Second, what is your passion? What do you love doing? That's pretty easy to answer. You got a favorite part of your job and a least favorite part of your job. If you're spending a lot of time in your least favorite part of your job, then that's going to be a challenge. So that's the second circle in the Venn diagram. And by the way, this is all mapped out inside at your best. And then um, the third circle is impact. What is moving the needle? When you do X, the needle moves forward. So for me, when I was leading a church, it's like when I'm casting crystal clear vision, when I'm preaching really well, when the team is aligned, uh, then we, we tend to do really well. Right now, if I'm writing really good content, if I'm interviewing world-class guests, uh, that seems to really move the needle in the company. So it is the intersection of those three things. Gifting, what seems easy to you, that seems complicated or impossible to others. Passion, what do you love doing? And impact, uh, what is moving the needle, moving the mission forward? If you can stay with the majority of your time in those three areas, you're probably going to see progress. Uh, and if you're outside of your gifting, if you're not very passionate about what you're doing, and if what you're doing, even if you're passionate about it, doesn't have any impact, if one of those three are missing, that is going to be a long-term miss. So again, there's more of that inside at your best, but I really hope that helps. Tim, I just want to encourage you, this is a really hard season for leaders, as I've written about on my website. I think 2021 is a harder year than 2020 was. 2020 was brutal. Millions of people died. But this crisis has moved from acute to chronic. So it's going to be hard for a little while. I'd focus on that intersection of gifting, passion, and impact. Get some outside perspective. Maybe you got a brilliant idea. It's just the wrong execution, the wrong approach. And uh, you'll make some progress. So thank you so much. Leave me your questions. Go to kerryneuhoff.com forward slash podcast. Click on the button that says start recording. And if you haven't yet picked up at your best, I want to see you get out of the stress spiral where you feel perpetually overworked, overwhelmed, and overcommitted and start thriving at your best can help. You can check it out at atyourbesttoday.com. We've got all kinds of interactive things for those of you who have bought the book uh, over there and you can get it anywhere books are sold. Thank you so much for listening and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.